Welcome back to Who's There. I'm your host, Allison. If you're new here, thank you for joining us. This is a podcast where I talk to a new horror fan every week because I hope to destigmatize what it means to be a horror movie fan because most of us are just regular people who like the adrenaline rush of being scared for some reason. And here we delve into those reasons. Just as a heads up, we're going to be on break for the last week of December and all of January, but there may be some first season re-releases, so keep an eye out for those. But for our last episode of our holiday horror series, I got to chat with the voice actor and director-writer Dave McRae. He co-wrote and directed the unauthorized sequel to Black Christmas, the 1974 version, and it's called It's Me, Billy. We talked about all three iterations of Black Christmas, what filming It's Me, Billy was like during COVID, and why he thought that a sequel to Black Christmas would be awesome. We also talked about theater of the mind and how what we don't see in horror movies is often scarier than what we do see, his creepiest experiences seeing horror movies in theaters, and what his favorite horror movies of 2021 have been. One last thing before we get into this episode, if you love the show and haven't left us a review on iTunes yet, I'd be so grateful if you could take a second to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts and subscribe to our feed wherever you listen to us. Thank you to everyone who's already left us a review. It's so appreciated as it really helps people to find us. This is a longer than usual episode, so grab some hot chocolate and let's get into this episode with Dave McRae. Hey, Dave, how are you? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm good. Thank you so much for being here. I'm so excited to talk to you. Do you want to tell everyone a little bit about yourself to start? Sure. Well, where to begin? Uh, it's always awkward when I got to feel so like, you know, arrogant. Um, okay. Well, my name is Dave McRae. Uh, I am a full-time professional voice actor. That's my day-to-day job. That's what I do. I've been doing that for, uh, well, full-time since 2006. And I've been working in the entertainment industry for over 20 years now. And uh, I'm also a filmmaker as well. And uh, I'm starting to sort of build that side up of my career more now that I just turned 40 a couple of years ago. But I've spent most of my career in the entertainment industry as a voice actor. So doing radio and television commercials, network promos, movie and game trailers, uh, animation, narration, you name it, I've done it. And uh, I've had uh, some good success at it. So um, to be able to do it full time, I'm very, I'm very lucky. And um, that's what I do. And so, and of course I have this YouTube channel, which kind of came out of nowhere a few years ago where I didn't really start the YouTube channel to, um, you know, build a channel per se. I just needed kind of an outlet to express my frustrations and excitement over movies and all that kind of stuff. And kind of like back in the day when you'd write things down, you would write things down to just get it out. You wouldn't necessarily show anybody it, but you just had to get it off your chest. So that's kind of what my channel was and then it turned and to this day I don't ask anybody to subscribe and like or hit the bell I think it was naivety at the very beginning but now it's just like well I can't do it now I you know what the hell I you know and uh so but anyway so the YouTube channel has become this thing now which is really cool um and uh it's got over 25,000 subs and and um it's pretty cool I talk Halloween and horror movies and all that kind of stuff that's mostly my sort of niche there and uh so that's the YouTube thing and um yeah I'm from I'm from Toronto Canada the great white north and uh that is the uh cliff notes version of who I am (laughs) Awesome. Um, I think I think a lot of movie or horror movie YouTubers get into it because they just need somewhere to like put their thoughts. That's so a good point. That's, I've I've talked to a couple of other YouTubers and they're like, I just wanted a place to talk about movies. 
So yes, it was my girlfriend who had encouraged me to uh, get into it and and sort of uh, you know because I was talking this and talking. She's like, you know, you really need you really need to you gotta get a lot of that because you know I always looked at it as. because I've worked in the business for so long, I've always, I, I sort of have, I feel anyway that maybe, I mean, other people can be the judge of that, of course, but I always feel that I bring maybe a certain perspective that the average person might not have. Um, and kind of, well, did you think of this or did you think of that? Or what about this? And understanding sort of the film industry from a business perspective as well. And um, so I think that's been sort of a, a help. And I think uh, people find that, at least I hope they find that interesting. So <laughs> that's awesome. That's awesome. Do, do you have any commercials that are airing right now that you did the voiceover for? Uh, I just uh, just finished. Actually, there was a run of uh, Black Friday ads for Staples uh, that I just finished doing. And then I had uh, a couple of Toyota spots that uh, finished uh, before that. Uh, and then I'm just uh, there's um, um, there's an online children's television show. Television is sort of the term television is changing now in terms of what it means. Um, it's called Where Oliver Fits. It's this cute little kid show. Uh, I would say the demographic, you know, three to six, maybe somewhere in there. And they just uh, posted their Christmas Eve special called uh, Where Oliver Fits, A Christmas Eve Tale. And I play his dad and the grandpa and Santa Claus and all that kind of stuff. And it's about a 30 minute episode on YouTube right now. And then um, there's another show called Luna Chip and Inky, I believe, uh, which uh, comes out next April, I think. Uh, it's, there's been other iterations of it, but this is a new iteration. And I play, uh, Mr. Crumple on that. Who's a, uh, kind of a grumpy porcupine, but that's not till April. So, uh, busy, busy, but the good kind. That's awesome. Yeah. So if Dave's voice sounds familiar, you may have heard it on TV or on commercials. It's entirely possible. (laughs) And you also made the unofficial fan sequel to the 1974 black Christmas called it's me, Billy, which is why you're here to chat since it's december but we will get to that in a little while um so first things first what's your favorite scary movie oh man it's it's a tough one but i mean uh because you know as you know allison there's all all kinds of subgenres to horror and different kinds of horror movies. But I would say that my, I mean, my all time favorite horror movie of all time is the original Halloween from 1978. Um, I just, you know, I fell in love with it when it was introduced to me when I was a little kid. And um, it's my favorite out of all the Halloween films. Uh, it, uh, so that's, that's, you know, if somebody would say, what's your favorite horror movie of all time, I would say the original Halloween. But I, you know, I mean, I love uh, The Others with Nicole Kidman from 2001. I really love, um, uh, oh God, there's so many. I mean, I even like going back to the classics like um, Whatever Happened to Baby Jane uh, with um, Joan Crawford and Betty Davis. I really liked, of course, uh, 1954's Rear Window. Um, You know, the original Psycho, of course, is always a classic, but you know, what is scary to one isn't scary to another. I, I tend to just really love mood and atmosphere and any film that can really display a, a solid story with, with some creepy mood and atmosphere, I'll, I'll probably tend to enjoy. But uh, I, I, when I was younger, I'm 42 now, I'll be 43 next year. When I was younger, I used to really like, you know, the slasher movies and all that kind of stuff. And I still do. I mean, they're, you know, they're fun. But as I've gotten older, I, I really appreciate the nuance of, of the psychological thrillers or the psych horrors and things like that with the many different layers and, and stuff, which I really appreciate. Like Hereditary, I really enjoyed. I, th- I th- thought that was terrific. So, Yeah. 
That's awesome. Yeah, I love Hereditary as well. And I've only had one other guest say that The Others is one of their favorites, which I really oh, love The Others. I so. adore it. Fantastic I think, movie. I heard that they're remaking it, which is totally unnecessary. Yes, I heard that too. And um, I think I did a little show on it on my channel actually a few months back. And now I can't remember any of the details of, of, of the remake, but I did hear about that. And, and I was like, really? It doesn't feel like, and the thing that worries me about a possible remake with the others and who knows, I mean, you know, I'm ready to be proven wrong, but you know, uh, you know, as well as I do that one of the great things about that movie is the nuance is the subtlety is the theater of the mind. And, you know, and by the end of the movie, spoiler alert for anybody who's listening, but come on, it's 21 years old now uh, or 20 years old now. Um, you know, you find out by the end of the movie, oh, the others are actually that, like, you know, are actually the people, the people who are alive and the people who are dead. It's, it's like a role reversal almost, mm -hmm. right? And so brilliantly done. And, and, you know, there's no blood, there's no gore. It's just mood and atmosphere and suspense and characters and, and uh, just really, really enjoyed it. And I worry that to remake that today, um, unless you're just going to, I mean, why would you remake it exactly the way it was 20 years ago? It still holds up. You're just remaking the same movie over again, which feels unnecessary. So I worry that they're going to sensationalize it a bit. You know, they're going to take it and make it more, you know, hip. Yeah, <laughs> you know? definitely. Or, so I'm kind of like, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I definitely, I feel you there. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, there's no reason for them to be remaking it. And, but thinking about it, um, the others kind of did what the sixth sense did just a year later and in like a completely different, like two years later. Yeah. Two years later. Yeah. 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 And you know, I like the sixth sense. Um, I, I didn't love it. Uh, I definitely appreciated it for what it was. I remember when it came out and I was working at the move at a, uh, I was going to say the movie theater, like there's only one I was working at a movie theater at the time. And, um, I, you know, it was all a big thing and a lot of buzz, buzz, buzz. And, and, uh, I watched it and I, I enjoyed it for sure. I like the others better. Um, I don't dislike the sixth sense, but I like the others better. I, 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 I think the others, it is appreciated, but I, I remember at the time because it had that similar twist ending that I think it just, because it came second, it will, for it was certainly at the time, uh, it was constantly compared to the sixth sense. Oh, they're just copying the sixth sense. Oh, they six sense the ending, whatever. And it's like, I, I don't think so. I, I, I think it's, very original. And, and um, I didn't feel that when I watched the movie, I didn't, I wasn't disappointed by the end. I was like, Oh, that's so good. Oh, I didn't see that. I never would have guessed that at all. Um, and the thing I really appreciate too, about the, the, the others is that in the sixth sense, if you're, if you're astute and you pay really close attention um, you can pick up on the fact that nobody's talking to Bruce Willis, except for this kid. And that's the craft of it, right? That's, it's brilliantly done that way. But certainly it's very noticeable in the second time you watch it. You can watch the, um, yeah, the, the others multiple times. And it's, you know, maybe apart from when her husband comes back from war, uh, you would never guess that they were dead um, yeah. because everybody is talking to each other. And, and it, it, it's brilliantly done that way. So I tend to lean more towards the, um, yeah, the others. Yeah, definitely. I don't remember what was being said um, in the ethos at the time uh, because I wasn't paying attention that much. So I just stated the obvious. Sorry yeah. about that. <laughs> no, no, it's okay. I just remember that. And I'm like, oh, it's okay. So 
but I definitely, I love the others better. Yeah. So this, this portion of the podcast has been sponsored by the others. There you go. Um, <laughs> um, so how did you first fall in love with the horror genre? Well, you know, it's got to go, but I mean, you know, when I was a young boy growing up through the eighties, I mean, uh, I have, all my siblings are a lot older than me. So I was born in 1979 and I've mentioned this a couple of times on my channel is that I was a young boy growing up through the eighties, but I remember the eighties pretty well, um, probably better than, you know, maybe most people my age remember the eighties. So I was what I was six in 1985, but I probably remember it like I was maybe 11 or 10. And the reason I think, and I have, there's no scientific basis to back this up, by the way, it's purely speculation, but I assume that it's because my, my oldest sibling is my sister, Jill, who is 15 years older than me. And then I have my brothers, Neil and Bob, who are uh, 11 and nine years older than me. And then there's me. And I wasn't the mistake, by the way. Um, <laughs> people are like, oh, so were you that? No, 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 I was blind. But anyway, so I think because my siblings were already like in their well into their teens and Jill was in her 20s by the mid to late 80s, you know, I would watch the stuff they were into. I was into the music they were into. I was, their friends would come over and I was, so I had a very sort of good grasp on 80s pop culture, 80s movies, 80s music, 80s sort of the vibe of the 80s, even though I was this little kid. Um, so it was my brother, Neil, that introduced me. He was a big horror fan. So he, he introduced me to Freddy Krueger and Friday the 13th and Jason and all that. And he was the one that introduced me to the original Halloween. And the reason for that is because uh, he thought it was really cool, you know, the white mask and dun, 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 all that stuff's great. Uh, but he said it was the first horror movie that he ever watched that never gave him nightmares. So that's why it became his favorite. So he introduced me to it. And, and uh, I don't recall ever having any nightmares uh, about it either, but uh, I watched it. I loved it. And sort of that was the seed that was planted that propelled me into uh, being a horror fan. So, yeah, I owe it to my brother, Neil. Nice. Thank you, Neil. So why do you think that people who seem perfectly sane love the horror genre? Great question. Um, <laughs> are we sane, Alice? I don't know if we're sane. Uh, we appear me, sane. We, we seem appear sane. sane. That's right. Yeah. That's right. We're completely, we're completely crazy. I mean, after I'm done here, I'm banging my head against the door. So I would say that um, I think one of the reasons why completely sane people appear to love horror movies is, is you can, and it's the same reason why I think anybody really loves horror movies, if they do, uh, is because it is an area where you can, um, you know, experience, potentially experience fear and uh, feeling scared and those, you know, emotions that you get in a safe environment. It's like going on a roller coaster. Actually, there's more risk going on a roller coaster, um, but it's the same sort of concept. You know, you're relatively safe and, you know, you get to experience all different kinds of, of fears, whether that's somebody breaking into your home, whether that's supernatural or, or ghosts or, um, you know, the devil or religious stuff, possession, demons, whatever it is, whatever you are afraid of, uh, you can experience that. And uh, in the safety and the comfort of your own home without it actually being real. And if the film is done really, really well, uh, it can affect you afterwards. You can think about it. You can go to bed thinking about it. You can dream about it. And, you know, it, so I, I, again, it's not an exact science, but just thinking about your question, I would imagine that 
I don't think people think of this consciously, but I think it is it is part of that sort of this is cool. It's like a ride experiencing this fun. Ah, ah, you get to experience that and you don't have to worry about actually being attacked or affected by um, what you're seeing. It's it's whether whatever genre of horror it is, it's always the unknown on some level. And, and there's always a curious, fascinating curiosity that we generally all have about the unknown. So. That's a great answer. Um, what Thank is you. your favorite subgenre in horror? Well, when I was a kid, it probably was slasher. But then again, when I was a kid, I probably didn't know what the term subgenre was. So um, I think as I get older, uh, there's room for everything. But I really, as I mentioned at the top of the show, I really appreciate the psychological uh, thriller horror subgenre. Um, I think it's, and of course, you can incorporate, you could have a psychological horror film that's a slasher movie you could have a psychological horror film that's a paranormal movie but but having that psychological element to it and not relying on um you know overly used cliches or overly you know overused archetypes or um you know you can mix the subgenres but but i love films that have a real psychological component to it you know, with many different layers. And, and sometimes you, you know, put your own layers onto it and that's not really what the filmmakers are doing at all. But um, certainly I, I appreciate that. And I think it's just maybe as I get older and I mature, I, I get wiser and, and I, uh, because I think what truly frightens us is, uh, you know, as I said, the unknown, that, that, that theater of the mind, what you don't see, it's an overused cliche, but it's totally true. What you do not see uh, is far scarier than what you do. What you conjure up in your own mind is far scarier than what you do. And one of the, the um, uh, or what you actually see, one of the analogies I often use on my own channel is I will say that, you know, take a, an entire theater. So there's, you know, 300 people. And if you show them the monster right away, I mean, eventually there's gotta be some sort of payoff, but if you show them the monster, if you are very clear on what it is, or, you know, there's no bill or anything, and you show them, 50% of the audience is going to be, yeah, whoa, wow, that's amazing. That's exactly what I pictured. And the other 50% is going to be like, ah, that's lame. Come on. Whereas if you keep that monster at bay and you, and you play into the nuances and you play into the theater of the mind, you've got everybody. Because everybody, I might go to a different place of fear than you, Allison, but we're all going to go to our own place. We're all going to be picturing our own version of, Ugh. You know what I mean? And you've got everybody. Now, again, eventually there's got to be a payoff and you have to reveal something, which obviously might win over some people and not others. But, you know, as long as the journey is is that uh, that build, I, I think you've got your audience. So, yeah. Did that answer the question? I think it did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was, what's okay. your favorite subgenre? Um, <laughs> okay, I also really love psychological horror. Um, mm. One of my, well, my all-time favorite horror movie is The Ring, which I think is Oh, I love The Ring. So, oh, yeah. the American version from 2002, yes. right? Yes. I love that. Naomi Watts, love that. Now, that is exactly the kind of creepy, eerie atmosphere. New, yeah. You know what I'm talking? Yeah. Uh, yes, yes. The Ring is absolutely in my top 10 for sure. 100%. Yeah. Maybe I watched- even top five. I watched uh, the Japanese version, Ringu, uh, for mm -hmm. the first time, like last year. And I was like, there's no atmosphere. This isn't scary at all. Right, so. right. I I did watch it, uh, Ringu, 20 years ago. I don't really remember it. So I'd have to watch it again. But uh, yeah, but the ring is, is 
is tremendous. The only thing about the ring that I would say, I, I guess I watched it. I don't know how long ago now, maybe a couple of years ago, my girlfriend hadn't seen it. So we sat down and watched it. She oh. liked it. And what I, of course, it's just dripping with mood and atmosphere. I'm a mood and atmosphere kind of guy. And uh, I thought that maybe like, you know, there's that point where you think the movie's over, right? Yeah. They've solved it. It's over. And then all of a sudden she's coming out of the television. I don't know. I, I, I think the film would have been, I mean, obviously, no matter what I would have wanted to do with it, the studio probably would have said, uh, it doesn't matter. Think walls, money. Um, but I think that moment where she sort of saves, what's her name again? Mara? 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 Um, Samara. Samara. Sam that's it. Yes. When she saves her, quote unquote, saves her, um, it, it almost feels like that could be the ending and, and a very satisfying one. You know, I would have been actually satisfied with that ending. And it kind of wraps up with them. You know, the ambulance is there and all that. And the camera pulls back and maybe the credits roll. I would not have felt like, oh, that's it, really? Because it was such a strong conclusion. I mean, it was such a strong sort of uh, setting her free and, and finding her and solving the mystery of what this was. And I would have been okay with it. Um, now, obviously there's that extra where you realize, oh, there's more to her than meets the eye. And why did you do that? The little kid says, and which is fine. But um, that's the only thing I think about the ring is that it's got that ending, but then like, oh, I don't know, you know? Yeah. Well, the thing with the ending, if it would have ended after she got her out of the well, sorry, spoiler for anyone who hasn't seen it, but it's, it's old. Um, <laughs> it is. <laughs> um, that you, you, we wouldn't have found out why Naomi Watts didn't die. You think it's mm. because she got her out of the well, but it's not. Mm, that's a good point. That's a good point. So, that's a good point. No, that that is a good so. point. Fair enough. Fair yeah. enough. Yeah, I the got, ring is great. Yeah. Um, I got to see it on thirty-five millimeter on Halloween, mm. Mm. so it was fun. Half the audience had never seen it before. So wow, wow. Did they all like? <laughs> yeah, yeah. But a lot. Some of the dialogue between Aiden and Naomi Watts just is a little, a little cheesy. But right, like, I still right. love it. But it's it's yeah. not one of those movies. It's not like a 70s horror movie that just completely the dialogue is trash. Right. But. <laughs> right. Especially low budget 70s horror movies. Um, yeah. yeah, I would say that. Uh, and what I love about The Ring, too, is is the uh, the color timing and the color correction that they've done on it, yeah. where they it's washed out. It's not rich colors. It's very cold and damp. I mean, it's very cold and damp because of where they shot it as well. But they they, they mirror the color uh correction with the film to match that and and that i really like too it feels cold you feel it yeah uh, and damp and spooky and eerie and it's it's great it's great yeah. i love the ring um a movie with a similar atmosphere and feel is um that came out recently is antlers did you see that Ooh, no i haven't but i've seen the trailer and i want to see it i really liked it not everyone really likes it but the mood is very much the same because they're also in the pacific northwest and i think oregon mm. right so. right yeah. cool well, i'm definitely gonna check it out yeah, I you mentioned not showing the monster too early in horror movies. So how do you feel about seeing the monsters sort of early on in movies like A Quiet Place in Cloverfield? Yeah, I think it, you know, it really depends on the subgenre, right? And and the story you're telling. Um, with Cloverfield, from what I remember, that was in 2008. I don't recall seeing that too early. I think we finally, I think we saw the, the, the monster in its entirety, I think, at the end of the film. I might be mistaken on that. It's been a while. Uh, but you're right. A Quiet Place, you know, we saw them early. But when I think about the kind of horror movie it is and sort of that alien sci-fi horror kind of apocalyptic, 
you know, uh, sort of dystopian kind of film, it doesn't really bother me because of the kind of, now that doesn't mean that playing it more of the theater, the theater of the mind wouldn't work, but those kinds of movies tend to resonate to be okay with me if you see the monsters earlier or something like that, because they're very character driven films. I think, you know, you, you become emotionally attached to the, the, the leads and, and, and that's really who you're attached to. Um, so I, I, it really depends. I, I don't think it's an exact science, um, but I uh, certainly, I think um, there are exceptions and there are certain stories that you want to tell where you want to sort of nurture the, uh, uh, the mood and the slow burn more. I think that's one of the, I, I really appreciated the, the, the first Conjuring film. And what I liked about the first Conjuring film was um, the fact that it did, it took a while to build and it played on sort of the mood and the slow bird, very Hollywood, very, uh, you know, um, polished, you know, and, and very, um, you know, but in terms of mainstream uh, Hollywood, the Hollywood sheen on it, polished ho Hollywood films, I think it's one of the better mainstream populist horror movies, certainly of the last uh, number of years in, in that way, because there's so much that come out that are just dreadful. Yeah. I think that's probably one of the better ones. Uh, and the reason for me, it's one of the better ones is that slow burn that just the way we get, you know, we get to the family and you think something's going to happen, but then it doesn't. James Wan doesn't, he doesn't uh, worry about not showing you something right away, you know, and, and uh, I appreciate that. Um, so yeah, I think, I think it's circumstantial. I think it depends on the story you're telling and, and sort of uh, you know, the execution of, of what you want to reveal. Who are your favorite horror directors? I don't know if I have a favorite horror director. Um, you know, I, I, I don't know, you know, and, and it's an honest answer. I, I don't know if I have a favorite horror director. Uh, you know, you can go the, the cliche route and say, well, John Carpenter or Wes Craven or Alfred Hitchcock. And that it, it just seems like they're the popular ones. So they're the defaults because they've got rate that they've got name recognition. But if I don't go, you know, the Jallo route or the, you know, and start talking about Italian films and people go, well, you don't know what you're talking about, you know, and, it's, and you know, so I'm kind of damned if I do and I'm damned if I don't, I, I the honest answer is I don't really have a favorite um, I appreciate uh, a lot of the Italian films and, and, and certainly uh, some foreign horror movies are fantastic. Um, and some of the old school American films, even, you know, the modern ones are, are great. I think James Wan is, is a talented today in terms of what today offers and what today demands. Uh, he would definitely be popular with the studios. Um, and he does good work in that regard. Uh, but I, I wouldn't say he's my favorite horror director. I don't know. It's a very good question. It's not something I admittedly have thought a lot about. Oh, that's valid. Um, so like I was saying before, you wrote and directed the unofficial sequel to 1974's Black Christmas. It's called It's Me, Billy, and you can watch it for free on YouTube. What is your history with the movie Black Christmas? Great question. Well, uh, I know your listeners can't see, but I got, of course, my It's Me, Billy Hoodie <laughs> on today. Um, well, I, uh, I co-wrote it and co-directed it and co-produced it with my buddy, Bruce. So, uh, shout out to Bruce Dale. Uh, he's been my best friend for nearly 30 years. It'll be 30 years next, uh, next year. 
And uh, he works in the film industry as well here in Toronto. He works for William F. White International, which is uh, Canada's largest um, distributor of lighting and grip gear in the country. Now, there are competitors, but when Hollywood comes up to Canada, whether it's Vancouver or Toronto or wherever, or uh, even here, of course, you know, homegrown um, productions, you know, there's a good possibility that they will be renting their gear from whites. They, we, you know, they supply all sorts of movies and shows and CW shows and Star Trek Discovery and all sorts of stuff. Uh, most, you know, a lot of the stuff that shot up here is supplied by whites. So he's the national manager of education and training there. So um, he, so he has lots of experience as well. And um, I really love the original Black Christmas. And um, now I wouldn't say, but all the things that people say about it, well, it's a little slack, you know, it's not kind of, I don't know. And I say, and, uh, yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, there, there's, I'm not going to be like, what? what are you talking about? It's a massive, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a it, the pacing's unreal. No um, people either really love it or they, or they don't. And for me, I've always been a fan of it. Always appreciated it. Uh, the, the old school kind of, vibe. I appreciate the, um, uh, the concept of it, I think is really interesting. Uh, certainly one of the first horror films of its kind predates Halloween by four years. And there's a lot of sort of influence you can see uh, that people have, t you, you can sort of follow the trail and, and find out or, and see sort of how influential Black Christmas was in a lot of ways. Um, and the just the again i'm a mood and atmosphere guy really appreciate the mood really appreciate the atmosphere but it is a slow burn and it's a slow it's a slower slow burn uh, so there are people that that kind of watch and go oh, that's a little dated now and i'm like oh it is i mean even the original halloween is very dated and um that's what you get you know but i always i always try to remind people that uh, if you can, to always do your best to watch films within their context. And, you know, like The Exorcist or like the original Psycho or Jaws or whatever the case is. And, you know, remind yourself that this is 1974. And, you know, I've had that conversation on my channel about The Exorcist as well and about how, you know, some, I mean, kids today, like people were throwing up and leaving the theater, but you got to understand where the world was then at that time. And the end, holy crap, you never see anything like this, right? And I've always found that when I watch older movies, like the old black and white films from the 30s, the 40s or 50s, when I think about the, you know, the year and society and what was going on, I'm like, God, this, this, is, this is great. This must have been wild. You know what I mean? And it helps me to appreciate it. That said, Black Christmas, one of my favorites. And um, sorry, what was the question again? The question was what? <laughs> What's your history with the movie Black Christmas? Right, right. Thank you very much. Okay, so um, I've always appreciated it. And uh, I try to watch it every Christmas. And um, that's pretty much it. Yeah, I've just, I've always appreciated the, the, the slow burn and the eeriness of the atmosphere and the phone calls and the Christmas season and the irony of this holiday that is supposed to be joyous and warm and cozy with friends and family and love. And there's this killer unbeknownst to, to, to anybody in the house. And I think that is absolutely frightening. So it's the, it's, it's the contrast there as well that I've always really appreciated. Very cool. So you do you think that's why you like um, holiday horror so much? Um, I don't know. It's it. That's a good question. I don't know if I gravitate towards holiday horror, but I, I definitely uh, appreciate, you know, a good horror movie is a good horror movie. And uh, so holiday or not, um, if it's really good and it's got 
a great cast and a great story and great atmosphere and mood and everything, I'm probably going to enjoy it. Nice. I recently, well, you were talking about you appreciate watching a movie within the context of when it was released. Right. I was, I, I watched the movie seven for the first time mm. recently. And mm. while before I watched it, my friend was like, oh, I was working in a movie theater when that was out and people were coming, were coming out and throwing up from one of the scenes that they, mm. um, one of the scenes, what one of the people ends up like, and I watched yes. it and I was like, that, that wasn't, that really wasn't that bad. And he was like, well, <laughs> at the time they had never seen any, anything like that before. Yeah. And so. it, it for, yeah, I remember it very well. Came out in 1995, directed by David Fincher. And a funny story, if I may. Uh, so in 95, I was 16. Bruce was 15, my buddy. And I wanted to go see Halloween 6, The Curse of Michael Myers. Oh, God. <laughs> terrible movie. But anyway, I, wanted, I had never seen a Halloween movie in the theater before. So my buddy and I, we go to the theater. Now, I was 16, looked 25, sounded like I do now. So I had no, I got in no problem. Bruce was 15, sounded 13, looked 12. So they were asking him for ID. He didn't have ID, so he couldn't get in. And he had to buy. Now, why he didn't just buy a ticket for something else and sneak into the theater with me, I have no idea. I, I, I don't know. But so I went and saw Halloween 6, The Curse of Michael Myers, and he went and saw 7. Now, you might be thinking, 7 wasn't rated R? That doesn't make any sense. It wasn't. Up here in Canada, it wasn't. It was double uh, A which is 14A. So you had to be 14 to be able to go see it by yourself. And um, I mean, if that movie had come out today, it'd be our no problem. Yeah. And uh, so he went and saw it. Halloween was over beforehand. He comes out of the theater and he's like, dude, he's like, holy shit. <laughs> you know, <laughs> when I saw it, finally, I was like, this is great. Like, what a, what a great psychological thriller this is. You know, it's a, and it's got mood and atmosphere and, you know, it's always raining and yeah, it was, it was a very sort of uh, well, it's a, it's a, a classic nineties film now. So. Yeah, definitely. So how did you come up with the idea for it's me, Billy? Well, okay. So um, in 2019, I had just turned 40. And like I said, at the top of your show, um, I've spent over 20 years in, in the entertainment industry, but mostly as a professional voice actor. But I went to school for film. Uh, at, the, at the end of the 90s, early 2000s, I went to Niagara College in Welland, Ontario, and uh, just about 20 minutes from Niagara Falls. And I wanted to study film. And I did. I studied radio, television, film for two years. And I wanted to be a film director. I wanted to make movies. And I also loved acting and on-camera acting and all that kind of stuff, being a performer, being an actor. But I wanted to make movies. Well, um, I dropped out because I found the program too difficult. Now, obviously, there are people that graduate, so it's not too difficult for everybody. But for me, I just was having trouble keeping up. And I think it was because there were so many classes. I mean, if it was just radio, TV, and film, and it was just those three, then I probably would have graduated. But uh, anybody who's been to college, you know, you take your major or, you know, whatever it is, but you also have like all these other classes that have to fill your time, like English classes, computer classes, current events, broadcast journalism, broadcast. I just couldn't keep up. I just couldn't keep up. And of course, you know, it all accounts to your, to your grade. And so I felt instead of continuing, why don't I just leave and pursue my career uh, from another angle? So anyways, I digress. But uh, when I turned 40, I, I have, you know, I've, I've worked on sets in that time. I've made little shorts here or there, but nothing that would be considered professional. You know what I mean? And when I turned 40, I thought, you know, I really want to, you know, I got his, I mean, I'm 40 now and I really want to make a real movie. I want to, I want to, 
I want to build up that side of my professional portfolio because uh, it's, it's <laughs> your cat. It's great. He He's begging for dinner and he's being very annoying. <laughs> it's awesome. I have a cat named Veda and she's a black cat and she's adorable. And she's always pining for my attention. She gets like 353,000 hugs a day. It's ridiculous. Uh, anyways, I love cats. Um, so uh, so yeah, so I, I, I wanted to build that side of my portfolio up, but I didn't want to bite off more that I could chew. You know what I mean? Oh, if you hear any, hang on a second, I'm getting a text here. That's probably why I hear that. Um, I didn't want to bite off more than I could chew. So I thought, well, why not do like a fan film and something that I already know the IP, I already know the source material and, you know, in the, for your, Listeners who may not know, the, the fan film, I mean, it's almost becoming its own subgenre now, is huge. And yes, for the most part, fan films are home movies, amateur people in their backyards with their phones who really don't understand how to make a movie. And there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with that. That's, that's amazing. I, I encourage kids to be out there doing that than doing shit they shouldn't be doing. Um, but you know, very rarely do you come across a fan film that is a professional production. And that is generally because fan films, generally speaking, are not made by professional filmmakers. So, um, but there are a few out there that are. And in 2017, there was a fan film released online called Never Hike Alone. And it was a Friday the 13th fan film. Mm -hmm. And it was written and directed by Vincent DeSanti, shout out to him. And, uh, and he did a follow up just last year called Never Hike in the Snow, a short sort of uh, uh, film. And he's prepping to go into pre-production uh, very soon, launch another Indiegogo campaign for doing this sequel, the feature-length sequel film to Never Hike Alone. And so, you know, I mean, I would be lying if I said that that didn't inspire me. I mean, it, it inspired a lot of people who are now sort of upping their game in the fan film, quote unquote, genre, so to speak. And there, you know, if you are professional and if you are a real filmmaker, they can be great portfolio pieces. They can be great calling cards to say, hey, look what I can do with this. Now imagine what I could do with this. And some people have asked, well, why wouldn't you just do, you know, an original piece? Well, original pieces are sometimes when you're trying to raise funding on your own are difficult to raise funding for. When you do a fan film, people get excited about the IP. They get excited about the property. Like, oh, oh, Halloween. Oh, Freddy Krueger. Oh, and then they fork over cash like it's, you know, the price is right or something. Um, so fan films definitely have their place in that regard. And But I didn't want to do a Halloween fan film. The Halloween fan film subgenre, so to speak, is saturated. Some really good, some not so good. But it is like a sea of just everybody and their aunt and uncle and dog is doing a Halloween fan film. And I didn't want to do that. And I didn't want to do Friday the 13th because, well, Vince has got that pretty much locked up. Uh, and I didn't want to do Freddy Krueger because another friend of ours named Cecil Laird is on the cusp of doing uh, uh, a Freddy Krueger fan film. So I thought to myself, you know, for which I'm tapped to play Freddy Krueger in. And I thought to myself, I was watching Black Christmas one evening and the movie ends. It's a great ending. It doesn't need a sequel. Uh, it's eerie, it's ambiguous, it's frightening. But I looked at it and I thought, what about Black Christmas? You know, it's a Canadian movie. Now, it doesn't take place in Canada, hence all the American flags. Um, but it's a Canadian movie shot here in Toronto. I'm Canadian, born here in Toronto. I haven't lived here my whole life, but certainly I live here now. And Bruce is Canadian and he's here in Toronto. 
well, there's a there's a romanticism about that. There's a there's a sort of a poetic kind of a nice. It's a good story. And there's never been a sequel to Black Christmas. There's been two remakes, one in 2006, one in 2019. But there's never been a sequel. Not that there needs to be one. So I thought, what if we did that, and and totally professional, as if we were doing an original film. It it you know I I wanted this to be fan film in name only. You know, and and uh, but go about it as professional as possible and, and utilize the resources and the connections that we have working in the film industry here in Toronto and sort of see what we can do. And that's sort of how it started. And I and I asked my buddy, I said, what about this? And at first he was like, ah, Black Christmas. I don't know. So I sat Bruce down and he watched it. And by the end of the movie and I told him my ideas and he got it. He was like, I, I get it. I get it. OK, let's do it. Let's see if we can do it. And that's how it came to be. That's awesome. What was the shooting process like? Well, the shooting process, um, you know, we, I mean, geez, we, we, we built, uh, well, first of all, we built um, an Indiegogo campaign to try to raise money. And whenever you are shooting a, you know, or you are attempting to shoot a, a film that is professionally done and shot, uh, you know, you don't just arbitrarily think of a number that you need to make the movie. You budget out, you know, based on the script and based on everything, how much ballpark figure of what you would need. And we came 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 uh, came to the conclusion, excuse me, that we would likely need about sixty thousand dollars Canadian, which is about forty five thousand, forty six thousand U.S. And so we built up the Indiegogo campaign and we launched it and we delayed it for a while, not thinking, you know, because COVID hit and we thought, oh man, what's going to happen? So we delayed it. And then we decided, you know what, let's just see if we can do this, you know? And so we launched the campaign on July the 4th, not because it was Independence Day. That was just the day that we decided to launch it. And um, it was a very humbling experience that we were able to, we actually were able to raise $64,000 Canadian, $4,000 more than what our budget was. It was humbling because Black Christmas is, you know, it's not one of the big four. It's not a hugely popular IP. And it became very clear that although there were many people that absolutely were excited to see a Black Christmas story continue based on the original film, that wasn't the vast majority. The vast majority believed in us believed that we were the right people to do this. They they believed in our passion, our vision on my channel with all the videos I was doing and the It's Me Billy-a-thons where we were raising extra cash for it. And, and they really believed it. You know, we did a really good job of, of selling it. And um, it was a very humbling experience. So the shooting process that is, is what you asked about. Um, but I needed to set this up just to kind of, you know, as the catalyst. Um, it took two and a half months to develop a shot list, which is just basically, again, you don't just arbitrarily show up on location and figure out how to shoot the movie. You, you have to figure how you're going to shoot it, what angles you're going to shoot with, how many shots there's going to be. So um, the script was 23 and a half pages. The, sh the shot list was I think 40 pages. No, I can't remember now. It was longer than the script, naturally. And uh, we shot in Elmont, Ontario, Canada, just about 20 minutes outside of Ottawa, Ontario, which is Canada's capital. So it's like you're Washington and this little cozy little town called Elmont. And there was this big Victorian mansion there that we wanted to shoot at. And we shot there for about seven days. So it was about a seven day shoot. The first two days were uh, day shoots and then everything else was overnight. So we slept during the day, got up in the late afternoon, the caterer came by, delivered, well, 
dinner, but breakfast. And, um, and uh, we started into our night shoots uh, from like six or seven in the evening till six or seven in the morning. And uh, it was, there was a lot that we got done in such a short period of time. Uh, but that was, that was the schedule, seven days, 23 and a half pages. Wow. That's incredible. Uh, first congrats on raising all that money. Um, that does not that. seem like a lot for a movie. So that's amazing that you made it with just that amount of money. Um, yeah, well, no, it's not. And, and you're absolutely right. I mean, you know, in Hollywood terms, that's a no budget film. I mean, $60,000 is probably not even the catering on a, yeah. on a, on a, you know, high independent film. Um, but but it's still nothing or it's still not nothing, I should say. And when you're making a short film and you know how to utilize the resources and the connections and the access to professional Hollywood grade equipment that you have, you can stretch that and make it go a long way. And uh, we hired a professional crew. I mean, these are people that work in Canada's film industry, um, film industry, uh, excuse me, uh, all the time. I mean, they've since gone on and done other shows and films and it's me billy was just a stop along the way great crew by the way i would love to work with all of them again they were nothing but professional and um but yeah there goes your cat again but uh i love it it's great but um but yeah it was it, it it's not a lot of money in the big picture but uh we did our best to stretch it and, and make this uh short low budget independent film look uh bigger than it than it actually was yeah, it definitely looked really fantastic. And I can't believe you, it only took seven days to shoot. That's amazing. Yeah. Oh yeah, it was, it was, but that's because, you know, and I say this again, and this is advice to anybody out there who is up and coming independent uh, filmmakers. One of the biggest compliments that we got from our crew. Now remember now, Bruce has spent more time on the film side of things than I have uh, because I've been sort of in the acting and the, you know, the voiceover side of things. Um, but one of the compliments that we both got this is the first time we were both directing something at this level. And our crew said that if you didn't know, you wouldn't know that this was your first time doing this. You guys are so prepared for, with everything from the catering to the shot list, to the accommodations, to the, the, I mean, everything is, it, it was a well oiled machine. Now, yes, it's, you know, a low budget, $60,000 movie, 12 people for seven days. I mean, you know, this isn't, you know, I mean, the bigger the films get, uh, you know, but then again, you have more people you hire to take care of certain things. Um, but yeah, it, we, oh, I mean, Allison, we put so much work into making because we did not want to have any problems. We were so passionate about this. I mean, listen, problems will always come up. I mean, that's just the reality of making a movie, but we did not want to have an unhappy crew. We wanted to treat our crew with the dignity and respect that they deserve because they were there working hard. They're all paid, of course, but they're there working hard on this movie that's not going to make money because it's a fan film. So we don't own the IP. We don't own the rights. So it's there's no long-term profit in it. They're helping us. I mean, it's a portfolio piece for them too, but it wasn't like it was this you know, big thing that was going to start hitting Netflix or something like that. So um, it was just, we, it was pro through and through, and we handled it that way on purpose for sure. Awesome. Well, congratulations. It's awesome. I watched it recently. I really liked it. I in fact liked it more. Like I told you before we started chatting or recording, I liked it more than the 1974 because I think the pacing is a little bit faster because it's, you know, written today. Um, but I, I thought you created great atmosphere and it was very tense. 
So I, really I appreciate like that. Thank you. I, yeah. I appreciate that. Thank you. Yeah, no, we, we I mean, obviously there, there is a slow pace-ish to our film as well because we wanted to, it was tricky, you know, we, we had 42 minutes and uh, well, we didn't know if we had 42 minutes because we don't know that until we're actually cutting the film, but uh, we had 23 and a half pages. And, you know, we wanted, the first thing we wanted was we wanted our females to be, not be archetypal. So not the, that's one of the things that um, like, you know, we didn't want to have one that was clearly like the slut and one that was obviously the bimbo, you know, and one that was, we didn't want that. We wanted these girls to feel like real girls, you know, and real people. And one of the things of why I think that worked was because, and they're professional actors, we cast them nine months before we went to shoot the film. And they, they on their own would have Zoom calls like this, talking to each other and hanging out with wine and just getting to know each other. So by the time, and they told us this, unbeknownst to us, they, they were you know, doing this. It was amazing. We didn't tell them to do that. Um, by the time it came time to shoot, you really felt their chemistry. They, they felt like these were real friends, you know, and who had been friends for a long time. And of course you add the talent on there and the nuances of the performances um, speaks for itself. And, and it was tricky to build character development in such a short period of time. But one of the compliments we have gotten is that you, you made me care about them. You know, when they started to die, I, I, I didn't want them to. And, and that's a real nice thing to hear because it's such a short film, you know? So um, yeah. Yeah, that's that's awesome that they thought to do that. Huh. Yeah, for sure. And just remind me, when did you actually shoot the film? Was it during 2020? It was. We shot uh, the set was a closed set, so that just simply means that nobody outside of the set is allowed, there, apart from the caterer who was showing up three times a day, um, because we had to follow all the rules and regulations of the COVID nineteen protocols because we were considered, you know, a professional production, and. Um, and uh, sorry, what was the question? Can't cut this part out. What was I the had, question again? I had just asked if you did shoot during COVID. Oh, right. Yes, we did. It was <laughs> shot uh, from November the 20th. It's been a long day. It was shot uh, between November the 22nd and November the uh, 29th of 2020. Oh, wow. Yeah. I remember listening to your interview with Sharon and Mindy on Horse Talk Horror about yes. it. Yes. So. Yes. Shout out to Sharon and Mindy. That uh, They are awesome. I love them. Yes. They're great. Yeah, me too. Um, Sharon's coming to New York next month, so we're going to get dinner. That's what so. I hear. <laughs> um, so, and this is the first time I've ever heard of a shoot list. I didn't know those existed, and it sounds like so much work. So, it is. It's, wow. it's a shot list, yeah. And and um, what it is, is is you have your actual script, and of course the script is has all you know the dialogue and all that kind of stuff and the action on it. Uh, a shot list may have bits of dialogue and bits of action but basically what it is is a shot list is you break down uh you break down every scene by shots so you know it comes to the point where it's like well okay so we have the dining room scene right and it's you know you know uh in it's me billy well how are we going to shoot that right what are the angle how many shots how many angles are there going to be capturing this conversation where is the camera going to me uh, excuse me going to be um, you know, and that's stuff that you have to know going in. You can't just figure that out. Now, that's another reason why you do location scouts prior, which we did. We did two, two location scouts at this house. Uh, one was just was just Bruce and I in the summer of 2020. And then we went up in uh, uh, middle of October with our DP, um, Greg Bennett. 
and our gaffer and our key grip. And we went up and they needed to scout the place. And, and, you know, we figure out, you know, we talk about shots and angles and all that kind of stuff. So that's one of the reasons why you also um, location scout, but yeah, you, you have to figure out how you're going to shoot this film. What are the angles? Like, where are we placing the camera at any given moment to capture all this? And um, so, and that's what a shot list is for. And, and you go through that. And I wish, I wish I had the shot list on me here, but I can show you. It's just like, you know, you go through it and it's, it's at two and a half months, we worked on just the shot list. Wow. I never, well, mind blown. Oh, wow. Yeah. Learn something new every day. Amazing. Amazing. <laughs> I'm glad I could help. <laughs> so I saw on your Twitter recently that the Blu-ray of It's Me, Billy just was released. It was, yes. We, uh, it's for, I mean, it's primarily for our Indiegogo backers, obviously, because it's not like we can sell these things in stores, but um, we, that was part of the perks. That was one of the perks that people could, could get on the campaign. And uh, so we would have liked to have started to get these out earlier, but of course, COVID and everything and all the shutdown and the mailing and all that kind of stuff. So uh, thankfully we have amazing backers who completely understand the delays of certain things. And uh, I'm a firm believer in communication. And as long as you continually communicate with your, uh, you know, your backers, uh, people totally get it. They understand. So we've just started to ship them out now. And um, it's exciting. It's exciting to, to, to be able to hold something in my hand where I'm like, that's my movie. <laughs> you yeah, know what oh, I mean? I'm sure. Kind of yeah. cool. It's kind of cool, especially knowing that it, that it's at the level that we did it. You know, I mean, everything was pro. I mean, we our DP, uh, which is director of uh, photography, for those uh, who might not know, um, he is a two time CSC award nominee. So that's the Canadian Society of um, Cinematographers. His name is Gregory Bennett. We go, we, you know, we call him Greg, and uh, he's amazing. I mean, the way he shot the film was magnificent. We shot on the Airy Mini, which of course is, you know, they shot the Joker on that 1917. I mean, it's a totally, again, everything was professional through and through because we utilized, you know, the connections that we had through uh, Bruce and his work and, and some of the people that, that we know, and it was pro through and through. And I, I, I don't say that in a braggadocious way. I say that as sort of, so people understand sort of the level that the, the, the commitment that we had going in, we, we really wanted to deliver something special uh, for ourselves, but for black Christmas fans too, who feel like they've been kind of gypped, you know, by the, by films as of recent, I guess. Yeah. So I guess people can't buy a copy anywhere. Not at this time, not at this time, possibly in the future, possibly in the future. Um, but at this present time, our main focus is making sure we get everything out to yeah. the backers. That's, that's the first and foremost thing. Yeah. Have you seen both the 2006 and 2019 remakes of Black Christmas? And which one do you hate less? <laughs> I have seen them both. Which one do I hate less? Mm, I don't know. That's such a good question. <laughs> um, I will answer the question like this. So um, Black Christmas 2006 is an abomination when it comes to, uh, in my opinion, of course, it's just my opinion, ladies and gentlemen, just my opinion, um, an abomination when it comes to Black Christmas because it's nothing like, it is a, it is a, but again, I get it. It's a modern day, modern day. It was from 06, but it's, it's a modern day interpretation of the movie. It's more sensational. It's crazy. And Billy's got jaundice and he's having incestual sexual relationship with his mother and skin cookies and all, the, the whole thing. It's, I mean, it's crazy, right? It's, it's crazy. It's completely different. There's no, it's, but I, I can, but 
to give credit where credit is due, they didn't just do the same thing over again. I mean, they, they did. I'm not a big fan of Rob Zombie's Halloween, but. Well, or yeah, his Halloween. No, his Halloween, Two, I should say. I'm not I'm not a fan of his part two at all, but you got to give credit where credit is due. And you got to say, well, he, he didn't just do Halloween Two, 1981 over yet. Um, so there is something to be said about that, that at least it's different. They're attempting to make something different and not just do a carbon copy. But I wasn't a fan of the sensationalism. I think Black Christmas, the original, whether you like it or not, is, is it's, a, it's a very specific style, um, a very nuanced sort of theater of the mind kind of approach. You can think it's boring, you can think it's exciting, whatever, but certainly that is the 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 feeling of the movie it's not focused on blood and guts and gore and sensationalism and all that kind of stuff um so i wasn't a big fan of the 06 uh remake at all really now the 2019 film um is a bit of a uh it's interesting so <laughs> um let me say it like this so i appreciate i think what was trying to be done but I don't think it was the vehicle for it. And I think, you know, when you want to create, listen, social commentary is nothing new when it comes to horror movies. I mean, social commentary has been around forever. Sometimes it's under the radar and it's nuanced, it's subtext. And sometimes it's a film that is really, that's what it's all about. You know what I mean? That is the whole point. But I, for me, why I didn't particularly like the 2019 movie, I, I don't think it's you know horrendous. Like, wow, oh my god! But it didn't work for me is because it felt, and and I understand that I'm a a white man who is talking about this, and obviously it's probably not geared towards me. But I do know women in my circles. Uh, who feel the same way. I'm not suggesting that you do, and I'm not suggesting any of your listeners do. But certainly, I, there there are people that that. Uh, do feel the same way of the opposite sex as well. And um, it felt for me a little uh, preachy, maybe a little condescending, a little too on the nose. And I think when you have an important message that you want to convey, if it gets lost in translation, now, obviously it didn't get lost in translation for everybody. There's somebody out there that loves it. But I think by and large, it it sort of rubs some people the wrong way. I know a few women that were like, eh, I, this feels a little too like you're coddling me or this is a little like on the nose. And I think it just gets lost. And, and I think that, and using the film and calling it Black Christmas feels like you're just riding on the coattails of the IP. I mean, there was a subtitle for this movie called Slay Girls, S-L-A-Y. And I like that, you know, and, and I thought, you know, maybe that should have been the title of the film, Slay Girls. You don't have to change anything, change nothing about the movie, change nothing about the story. You call it Slay Girls, maybe, maybe you're still going to have somebody, you're still going to have somebody doing that. But I think if you had changed it, you would have allowed the audience to draw their own parallel. Like, oh, this is kind of like Christmas a little bit. But nobody's going to, but because it's so different, I think you would allow it to succeed or fail on its own. And for me, it just felt a little too, it, it felt like a, um, not a movie that had a political message, but a, a political message that had a movie attached to it. And it just felt on the nose. And of course, when you listen to the, the interviews and you listen to people who made the movie, they don't shy away from basically saying to you, that, that's exactly what we were doing. We're making this film to just basically say this. And it's like, I don't know. And I'm, I'm, I have no evidence of this. I've talked about this on my channel. I want to 
preface this by saying, I have no evidence of this. I just suspect, I suspect. Speculation. Um, a few months before this was announced that Jason, that this movie was going to be made. Um, and by the way, Sophia Takal is incredibly talented. And I thought the cast was incredibly talented. I thought, um, what's the lead's name? Poots something? Imogen. Imogen Poots. Imogen Poots. I thought she was terrific. Um, there was a moment in the movie I didn't quite like where, where, where they're in the car and she turns to her friend and she basically recites the whole plot to her. Yeah. I thought that was kind of like, oh, you know, you know, hey, it's like in case you didn't get it. Um, but anyway, so a few months before this movie was announced, and, and it's interesting because uh, it was announced like a week before I was about to announce that I was going to be making a movie called It's Me, Billy. It's crazy. I could have sworn that Jason Blum knew. But anyway, so uh, a few months before, maybe six months before, I don't know when, but I remember Jason Blum got into a bit of hot water with something he had said. Now, personally, I don't feel he, sh this is my opinion only, of course. I don't feel he should have, I mean, I understand why he apologized because of the climate we're in now, and I get that. Um, but I didn't feel there was necessarily anything wrong with what he said. Maybe he should have said it in a, in a different way because what he said was true, which is that uh, I think I, again, I'm paraphrasing. So excuse me if I'm hazy on the details, but it was something to the effect of that. I think he was asked why, um, why are there not more, uh, more horror female directors? Great question. Great question. There's a lot of talented female directors out there. So why are there not more horror female directors? And he said something to the effect of, again, I'm paraphrasing. Well, I mean, I, I've asked or I've reached out, but it's not there. I don't know. I just, you know, whatever it is, right? So he got into trouble with this, I think, because he came across maybe, you know, in a certain way. And then six months later, we have a Black Christmas remake with Sophia Takal directing and April Wolf writing. And I'm like, it feels like it might be the answer to this situation. So it doesn't feel necessarily organic. Black Christmas was written in a very short period of time. It was written, shot, produced, edited all within like five months. And I cannot help but feel that maybe if they had more time, maybe if there was something, you know what I mean? Like, it, and again, I have no evidence for it. It's my speculation, but I, I, I question whether this was just shoehorned in as, as, a, as an answer, as a, as, a, as a way of sort of making him look like, well, see, I hire, because I don't think Blumhouse has had another movie since with a female director, as far as I know, I stand to be corrected. So that, you know, you know so, so I don't know. It's, it, it's, I, I appreciate social commentary because I, I think the vehicle of films is such an important art form that we can use to deliver an important message. But I think if the message gets lost in translation for whatever reason, then I think it defeats the purpose of, of, of doing it. And I think Black Christmas uh, 2019 would have, would have been better if it had been called Slay Girls. Uh, that doesn't mean it would have been a box office phenom, but I think it would have, it would have landed better in the pop culture than, than I think it did. Does that make sense or? Yeah, that, that cool. makes total sense. Um, I think I remember Jason Blum saying something to that effect, but I did not put it together that it was the same year that this came out. Um, so I don't know if really it was the same year. It, yeah, it, it might've been maybe, like I think it was announced they were doing the movie in 2019, July, maybe. Maybe this was like the end of 2018 or something, but it, it, was, a, it was an interesting sort of, yeah. You know, sequence of events, I guess I'll say. But I have no evidence you know, whether that's true. <laughs> yeah, we all we can do is speculate. All we um, can do is speculate. But uh, yeah. 
Yeah, I've I've had friends tell me who love the 1974 Black Christmas that they would have liked this movie better if it had not been called Black Christmas because it was right. had nothing to do with the original. Um, so I understand that. I've also had people tell me that like they hate that it's so on the nose with the messaging. Yeah, which yeah. I get, and I think maybe more time they would have smoothed that out. But also, I'm kind of a fan of being straight in your face with the messaging. Gotcha. So gotcha. I I love this version, but. That's just me. <laughs> well, you see, and and the thing is too is that you know you're right, right? Like like no, and there's nothing wrong with loving it. There's nothing wrong, right? Because maybe you know I, I I think maybe because you're right. Sometimes on the nose is the way to go, and sometimes you know subtle and subtext is the way to go. It, it's it's very nuanced, right? It all depends on the story you're telling and you know the cinematic language, uh, the you know how you want to tell your story. But I, I I can't help but feel that maybe for Black Christmas fans, right? I guess I'm one of them. Uh, it would have resonated better with, maybe if it wasn't even, I mean, maybe if it wasn't even set at Christmas, maybe it was Halloween, you know what I mean? And and had this weird cult in the sorority house at Halloween time and utilized paganism and the rituals and all that kind of stuff. That might've been, it's not necessarily the story and the what some are claiming to be so woke. It, I mean, yes, I mean, certainly that can be, part of what's got people's knickers in a twist as the British say, but, but I think it, it's largely that this isn't black Christmas. What's going on yeah. here? You know, and I can understand that. Yeah. But then in a way, if I was going to summarize 1974 black Christmas, I would say it's just a bunch of girls in a sorority house getting killed. And that's kind of what 2019 was. So true. No, true. <laughs> no, you're right. You're right. And, 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 um, you're right. I, th I think the difference, though, is is that it even from the the opening quote of the 2019 film, yeah. uh, it lays out sort of this is what this movie essentially is all about. Um, so right out of the gate, they're like, hey, we just want to get this out there now. <laughs> you know what I mean? But the original film, too. I mean, there's a little bit of subtext there, you know, in terms of the the uh, a, a, a little bit of social commentary i guess in terms because uh jess is pregnant and of course in 1970 i love the cat just went by again all your viewers are like oh i guess the cat went by again um i love uh you know she's pregnant and of course in 74 um that's i mean that's you know that's a big sort of faux pas and it's peter her boyfriend who wants her to have an abortion and she oh, sorry no, it's she, the opposite. He want, right, excuse me. She wants to have the abortion and he wants to keep it, which is a bit of a role reversal in, in, yeah. in a stereotypical way. Um, so, you know, there's there's a bit of that there. But uh, uh, but at the end of the day, you're right. It's it's women in a sorority house getting killed. Yeah. So what did you think of the social commentary in, in the 2006 remake? Um, there There I, is none there. That was a trick question. I know. I know because <laughs> no, 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 I know. I know. But I was, I was, I, I said, um, because I was like, how can I answer this and make it seem like there's like some social commentary? Cause I'm thinking, I don't think there is any, um, maybe, maybe it is to, Hey, treat everybody with respect because if you don't, they're going to cannibalize you and eat your skin for cookies. I, th I think that's, that's okay. could be it. Maybe. Yeah. I think so. Yeah. <laughs> I finally recently watched that remake and I was like, this is hot garbage. Oh, so. unbelievable. Isn't it? Oh, yeah. That's so bad. <laughs> yeah. Now, besides Black Christmas, what are your top three favorite holiday horror movies? I would say uh, my top three. Um, well, Halloween's not really a horror movie, is it? Or, or a holiday it's not really a holiday. Halloween. Not really a holiday. I mean, um, Halloween is a holiday, but I mean, not in the I sense guess. that 
Yeah, I guess. Um, top three. I would say that my, besides Black Christmas, right? Yep. Besides Black Christmas. I would say that um, it's hard. It's hard to say because I, I you know, Krampus was interesting. Uh, the film from a few years ago. I didn't think it was great, but you know, I thought it was, it was all right. I, I, I don't really think there's a, well, yeah, maybe Krampus was all right. Um, I thought trick or treat, trick or treat or trick or treat um, was really good. That's I think that was directed by, uh, was that Mike Flanagan? No, that no. was, uh, no, that was Do Doherty. No. Uh, uh, what's his name? Forget now. Forget his name. Anyway. Uh, I thought that was pretty good. I thought it was pretty good. And um, I also didn't mind, I don't, know, I don't know if these would be my top three, but these are the ones that are coming to me that I'm thinking, what, what ones have I liked? Uh, and then I would probably say maybe, um, I kind of like that one. It was kind of fun. The one that came out a few years ago. Uh, what's that? It's um, the kids, uh, what's it called? The, there's the kid that's getting babysat by oh, the girl. Better watch out. Better watch out. I thought that was, it was a lot better than I thought it was going to be. I was like, what? The trailers. I was like, ah. but I watch yeah. it. And I'm like, well, this is actually kind of fun. So the I'm, I'm going to put that so on the misleading. List. Oh, yeah. hundred percent. Oh, yeah. No, I really <laughs> like that movie. It, like he gets real creepy, but I really I really like that one. And, I got gotcha. you. Uh, yeah. Michael Doherty directed and wrote Trick or Treat. That's it. That's it. So. Yeah. So I was I was in the ballpark. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so are there any holidays that you think have not been utilized enough in horror that you'd like to tackle as a filmmaker? that I would like to tackle as a filmmaker. Or that um, you would like anyone's tackle. Hmm, I don't know. I think, um, I mean, Christmas gets, you know, get obviously because of the dichotomy, because of the contrast, it's supposed to be love and all that. And so that's always fun. I think you could probably still do a few real good Christmas horror movies. I think some Christmas horror movies today tend to lean a little more camp, uh, a little more satirical, even going back to the eighties and the night, you know, and silent night, deadly night and, and, you know, or silent night, evil night, no silent night, deadly night. Um, it's a lot of camp. There's a lot of camp with Christmas horror movies. Um, so I think there's still room to utilize maybe like a real serious, like, Whoa, that was crazy. Um, I think Valentine's day, you know, obviously there's my bloody Valentine from years ago, but I think, I think you could, you could do something real great with Valentine's day today. Um, Cause obviously it's about love and everybody's wants to get loved. And uh, so it's that contrast again, you know, I think you could, I think you could use that. I'd like to see that. Um, I guess I know what you did last summer kind of did 4th of July. Um no, maybe maybe do a Canadian one, Canada Day. Canada Day, which is like our Fourth of July, is actually July first. So you could all, ooh, you could have like Canada Day leading into Independence Day. So it's just like one long horror spree. You celebrate Once, first in Canada and then cross the border. Yes, yes, you cross the border to escape, and then you realize, no, now they're celebrating their birthday. I think we're onto something here, Allison. All right, that's your next short. Start start the <laughs> shot list. It's done. It's done. Uh, are there any new holiday horror movies that you've seen that have come out this year that you want to watch? Uh, ha have there any? Have there been any that have come out this year? Um, One came out called Silent Night. Um, it's on AMC Plus, I think. Oh, okay. Yeah. I'll have to check that out. I haven't. Uh, I've been unaware of it. Um, things have been really sort of. Uh, so busy for me, especially the last 
few weeks, I, 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 my pulse has kind of been off that a little bit. So I will have to check that out. I'm always down for a good holiday horror movie during the holiday season. So um, I'll have to check that out. Yeah. And I, I haven't watched it yet, it yet, but I've heard good things about the advent calendar. Um, advent. Oh yes. I, is that on Netflix right now? It's on, it's it, on huh? shutter. Oh, it's on shutter. It's on shutter. I, I think I saw an advertisement for it somewhere. Um, yes, I have, I have heard of this. I have heard of this. I will yeah. look at this. You're just a ball of information. This is great. <laughs> I'm going to check that out. Try that. Si- Silent night and the advent calendar. The ad, look at that. Yeah. People are the advent. What's next? Yeah. You know, Holly, you know, mistletoe, mistletoe. Oh, that's Ooh. a good name for a horror movie. I wanted like, an associate producer credit on this. Done. <laughs> <laughs> so an article came out last year that said that horror movie fans were handling lockdown better than non-horror movie fans. Why do you think that was the case? Really? Um, that's interesting. You know what? I mean, there's two ways to answer this. I could dive and try to figure out the science behind it, um, but it could, you know, I don't know what they were measuring. Do you know what they were like, how they came to that conclusion or was it just sort of um, a- I don't remember how they came to the conclusion. I think it was in GQ if you want to look it up, but- um, Okay. All right. All right. Um, I think- well, you don't have to look it up now. But, um, no, no, no. I understand. Yeah. I think maybe we had less anxiety or less. We were just not freaking out about staying home. You know uh, what? There might be some truth to what you're saying there, because maybe watching horror movies, uh, it builds up that anxiety in you, right? Depending on who you are, when you're watching it, it's almost like a release. So when the movie's done, there's like a relief or when there's like this build up to this jump scare that might be coming, ah, you know, and you're like, ah, and maybe there's like this built up energy that is being expensed um, while watching movies that elevate your anxiety levels and, and therefore you feel less anxiety uh, afterwards throughout the day or something like that. Yeah. Maybe, maybe that's part of it. I could see that. I could be completely wrong, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> maybe that's part of it. I'm going with that. All right, cool. So I know you said you don't have a lot of free time nowadays, but if you ever just sit down and you want to watch a horror movie, how do you decide what to watch? Ah, that's a good question. Um, let me see here. I usually when I'm on, it's usually if I'm surfing Netflix, um, it can be from the trailers, of course, too. I mean, I watch a lot of trailers. The Antlers trailer did that for me where I was like, ah, this looks really good because of the movie. But I think it's, if a trailer looks like it's got it sounds like I know it sounds like it, but if, but if a trailer looks like it's got mood and atmosphere and you know the creep, then I'm I'm in I'm I'm hooked I want to check it out because it it's I just love settings that are rich full of mood and atmosphere when nothing particularly creepy is happening on the screen but you feel still this uneasiness and this creepiness while you're watching it, um, you know because mood and atmosphere you know people have to remember that. I think when people think of mood and atmosphere, they tend to think of like nighttime and moonlight and all that kind of stuff. And that's part of it for sure. But you can create mood and you can create a sense of atmosphere during the daytime. And it depends on what lenses you use or, or, or what angles you decide to show, how long you linger on a shot, how quickly you move away from a shot. Uh, there's many different ways to create atmosphere and mood and invoke a feeling in, in your audience. So whenever I watch a trailer that looks like it's got a lot of that and, and, and you know, the story looks you know, interesting, uh, I'll probably check it out. If it's on Netflix, um, I will go by the short 
write-ups that they, some of the write-ups are terrible. <laughs> we'll be like, who the hell is writing this? Um, but sometimes I find one, I'm like, oh, that's interesting. And then you watch it and you're like, nah, 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 <laughs> you know? Uh, and then sometimes it's like, oh, I'm so glad I watched that, you know? So that's generally how it is. I think kind of most how everybody does it probably. Yeah, cool. Are there any horror movies that you won't watch or that you won't watch ever again? Because they're too scary or because they're so bad? <laughs> um, because they're too scary or um, like traumatizing or not traumatizing, but um, intense maybe. Right. I'll say, be, uh, no, I'll say there's no horror movie that I've ever been so scared by that I won't watch again. Uh -huh. Usually if I'm really freaked out, but I'm like, oh, I gotta watch that again. That's amazing. It's like a ride you go on. You know what I mean? Oh, ah, ah, and you get off the ride. You're like, let's do it again. Um, that's kind of like how I am. So I'm going to say no to the too scary, but definitely there's some films out there that, that I just think are awful that I, that I have no desire to watch again. I remember, um, I don't know why it just sticks in my head. I remember, uh, many years ago I, I had rented the grudge Two, Uh, and, uh, this is like 2006, seven. And I turned it off like the halfway. It was terrible. I was like, this is garbage. I just turn that off, you know, whatever. Um, I can't think of any off the top of my head, but there's definitely uh, horror movies that that I, I have disliked that I will not watch again. Um, usually some B horror movies on Netflix that are just like, you know, well, a film that actually has a great cast that is more of a psychological thriller that I was so disappointed by was The Woman in the Window. I was so disappointed by that. A tremendous cast. I mean, you have Amy Adams, you have, um, uh, what's his face? Um, um, oh God, uh, Gary Oldman, you know, incredible cast. And I was so disappointed with it. It just felt so a little too predictable, linear, uh, uninteresting. Just, it just felt safe. And, and I know it's based on a book and I haven't read the book, but I was very disappointed in that. So that's a movie I have no desire. I don't necessarily have to hate a movie to not watch it again. Um, I just have to be disappointed in it. I'm like, well, eh, eh, okay. Well, I have no reason to return to it. So, yeah. Definitely. I've heard that the book version of The Woman in the Window is better, but I also have not read it. Yeah. Well, there's a, there's a, have you seen the trailer to the recent, I just saw that there was a trailer for a movie starring, um, uh, Kristen Bell, I think it is, that is something about the woman alone in the house or the woman or the, whatever it's called. It's something I, like that. That sounds a little bit familiar, but I haven't seen the trailer for it yet. Yeah, I think it just dropped like a very recently and I haven't seen it yet. And and uh, I have to check it out. I like her as an actress, so I'll have to check yeah. it out. The woman what? in the house across the street from That's the, it. the window. That's a lot. That's, That's the name of the- name. Yeah. The girl in the house across the street from the woman in the window? Is The woman the in the house across the street from the girl in the window. Ah, why Say would that you, three why times would, fast. <laughs> the girl in the house across the street from the woman. No, the woman in the house, the woman in the house across the street from the girl in the window. That's yes. what it is, right? I, I would say that you should just call it the woman in the house. Yeah. Yeah. Or the girl across the street. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, uh, I haven't checked the trailer out for that yet, but that has me intrigued. I always like those kinds of, you know, it sounds interesting as like a log line or something that sounds interesting. So yeah. uh, I have to watch a trailer for that. All right. Yeah. I have to go check that out too. Um, have you ever had any noteworthy experiences seeing a horror movie in theaters? Uh, yes. The one that comes to mind when I was reading your questions the other day is I went and saw the, well, noteworthy for 
it was kind of funny. So uh, this is 2010, uh, I think it was, 10 or 11. I was downtown Toronto uh, and I was uh, doing, I had a voiceover session in the morning and then I had another voiceover session in the afternoon. So instead of, I live sort of uh, not right downtown. So instead of driving home and coming back downtown during rush hour, forget that, um, I decided to stay downtown and to kill a couple of hours. I went to watch a movie and I went and saw the first Insidious film, which I like. I like the first Insidious. Uh, the rest of them, yeah. Yeah. but the first one I like. Um, and I'm sitting there in the theater and it's just me in the theater and there's a bunch of young people. I don't know. I'm going to say young people. It sounds like I'm ancient, but there's a bunch of, you know, younger people. Like let's say I was 30, whatever I was one or two. And uh, I'm going to say they were maybe like in their early twenties or something. And whenever creepy things would pop up onto the screen, they would kick the back of my chair. And so much so like we're the only ones in the theater, Allison. And so much so that there is no way that they would not know that they were doing that. They were kicking it and kicking it like a lot, almost to try to evoke a reaction out of me, but I didn't. I said nothing. I just continued to watch the film because I suddenly thought, how creepy is it going to be if I show no response, no emotion? I'm just sitting there taking this abuse. What the heck? Well, I can tell you right now, by the end of the movie, I think they were more creeped out by me than Insidious. Uh, so... You know, luckily, like it wasn't happening every five seconds. It was just when something creepy would happen. Just a bunch of brats is what they were. So, but I, I remember that. I remember, um, you know, you get the the usual people yapping and shut up and get off your phone and all that kind of stuff. I remember when I went to see Godzilla, King of the Monsters um, with my girlfriend. We're in the theater and there's this guy in front of me and he's on his phone. And I'm like, okay, well, that's fine. You know, the lights are still on. It's not a big deal. Then the lights go down and the commercials start. And he's still on his phone. I'm like, okay, all right. I'm, I'm watching him. I'm like, how long is he going to be on his phone for? Uh, and then the trailers start. And I'm like, okay, he should turn off his phone now, but I'm going to give him another chance. I'm going to turn off his phone. And then the movie starts and he's playing like Candy Crush or something. I don't know. <laughs> the movie starts and the Warner Brothers logo is coming up onto the screen. And I just lean over and I get like right here beside him for your listeners. Uh, that's like right beside his face. I could kiss him on the cheek. And I, I just said to him, I said, you're going to want to put that away. You know, and, <laughs> and, and he goes, he puts it and he puts it in his pocket and he puts it away. And I just leaned back. Like I said it almost as if I, I was on the verge of becoming the devil. And, um, but I said it like, but in my mind, I'm thinking, why are you even here? I mean, I can understand if you're scrolling while the commercial, but when the movie begins, what the heck, man? Yeah. Um, so, you know, little things like that. When I worked at a movie theater, there was lots of crazy stories. And I remember when the Blair Witch Project was out, people were throwing up, not because it was so scary. Of course, that's yeah. what the media would tell you, but because of the motion sickness. Yeah. And I remember on my own, I wasn't asked to do this on my own. I took a couple of little doggy bag popcorn bags and I went into the theater and I said, uh, blah, blah. Hey, everybody, welcome to the theater. Just want to let you know, this is motion sickness. Is anybody here suffer from motion sickness? And you could see like half the theater go. <laughs> so I started handing out these little popcorn bags for anybody who might need, feel the need to throw up right there and because they couldn't make it to the bathroom so anyways oh. i got a lot of stories but that's some <laughs> that's awesome that's oh yeah that story about you well both stories about the kids kicking your seat oh that's so annoying but you didn't say anything and then you leaning forward i bet that guy was like why have i heard that voice in commercials before why is he behind me <laughs> well it's funny you say that because uh 
for a number of years, not so much now, uh, well, not now at all, actually, but for about seven or eight years, I was the voice of uh, Cineplex Scene Card. Now, Cineplex is basically our AMC, and uh, Scene Card is like a rewards program. And for many, well, for seven years, I was the voice of scene card. So when you'd sit in the theater and the commercials would pop on, uh, you would hear my voice pop on and, you know, hey, welcome to cinema, blah, 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 whatever. And uh, uh, so that's funny. I mean, there's many times where I'll sit in the theater and I will pop on and I'm just like, oh, man, you know, and, but nobody knows it's me, obviously, because it's not like I'm talking because you can't see my voice. But um, uh, yeah, I didn't say it in a jovial tone. I said it in a very sort of ominous tone. You're going to want to put that away. <laughs> next time you should do it in like a pennywise voice that might be creepy too mm, yes that's right that's right or an old man voice you know hey, hey you're gonna want to put that away <laughs> uh, so what has your favorite horror movie been in 2021 that you've seen oh man my favorite horror movie in 2021 it is not halloween kills um oh, me neither. I, I hated was- it not a big fan of the oh, movie. I, I, I liked certain aspects of the movie. Like there were certain things I thought, certain things I thought that they improved on over 18, but it was more to do with like the aesthetic, the look, the lighting, certain things, the more the cool aesthetic. Um, and, uh, but the story and the the pacing and the script and the structure was just, I mean, it was awful. Um, so it's not that one. Um, I didn't mind A Quiet Place too. I didn't mind that. I thought that was, I wasn't a huge fan of A Quiet Place 1, funny (laughs) enough, because I found that the, in order to justify the movie to continue, these characters had to continue to make incompetent decisions. And I I was kind of like, well, why would you, why would you, like, why would you leave your kid alone behind you as you're walking along? You, that kid would be on my show, would be with me. We sit there with me. I I would never have my four-year-old or five-year-old tagging when it's all dependent on being quiet. You know what I mean? Like your survival depend. It's a great concept. Love the concept. Fantastic. Brilliant. But, (laughs) you know, there's certain things that I was like, "Mm." but by a quiet place too, I was like, well, that's out of the window. I'm just going to sit back and enjoy this. And I found myself enjoying it, you know, for what it was. I I thought that was all right. Oh, I recently watched uh, The Night House. Oh, okay. And I really enjoyed that. I really enjoyed that film. I, I thought it was, and I love Rebecca Hall, is it? Yes. I, I think she's a tremendous actress and, and I really, um, I enjoyed it. I, I mean, it was incredible, but I, but I, I, again, you know, the mood, the, yeah. I really enjoyed the film and I, and I liked the story. Um, I thought it had some layers and, and, uh, you know, the ending might be a little abrupt for some and, and, and I get that maybe feel, you know, a little unresolved, but I, uh, I appreciate it. I did like it. I also liked, and this is a big con, this is a big, this is a big, like ah, people, some people like, I kind of like malignant. I got to say, I, I didn't hate Malignant. I didn't love Malignant. I think I appreciate James Wan's mood and atmosphere sensibilities. And, um, and I appreciated that he was trying something different, stepping out of the box, trying to deliver something that was uh, a bit different. So I, I, I thought it was all right. I thought it was all right. That's uh, valid. That's valid. I hope he goes back to making movies like The Conjuring 1 and 2 next i agree personally yes but. yes i agree uh let me see here uh looking here there's got to be others i've seen here uh spiral not a big fan of Candyman. i thought was all right i thought Candyman was all right um don't not breathe a big two haven't seen don't breathe two okay. yet i really like the first don't breathe yeah um but i haven't seen two is is two really good or two 
I, I did enjoy too, um, uh, the terrible, horrible, unimaginable things that the, that the blind man was doing in the first movie, they somehow conjured up people that are doing something as, as bad or Mm. worse for this one. So it kind of was like, oh, well, you're terrible, but so are they. And I kind of think that what they're doing is might may might be worse. But gotcha. So so they've almost turned him into an anti-hero in some ways. Like, yes, that's what people have a problem with. Mm. I can try to forget the first one a little bit. Mm. Turkey basters will never be the same. But <laughs> Ooh, I will keep that in mind. <laughs> <laughs> um, I didn't see the conjuring the devil made me do it. Yes, yeah, here it. it's not very good. It's not. Okay. All right. So uh, those are some there. Those are some that I've enjoyed and some that I've seen. Yeah. What horror movie are you most looking forward to seeing in 2022? Ooh, good question. I got the thing up. Let me see here. Mm -hmm. 2022. Just got to get a freshy, fresh reminder here. Um, I'm looking forward to, although I'm not a big fan of the franchise, Allison, I, 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 I do like the first movie in the franchise I'm about to talk about um, because I love, I think it came around at the right time. I think it, it could be its own film and a, a sequel have never been made. It, it ends on that note, but I think it's just, it, 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 I love sort of the spoofy, sticky, self-aware quality of it, but I don't know if it, but I could be proven wrong here in a moment. Um, I, I don't, don't really like the sequels and that's Scream. Um, I appreciate the first scream for what it was. I thought it was a fun movie, a satirical look at poking fun at the slasher uh, genre. And I think it was well done. It, it was the right time and the right place for it. Obviously hugely successful. I'm curious about scream again. <laughs> um, that's what the movie should have been called scream again um, because it has the directors from ready or not. And I thought ready or not was actually a lot of fun and uh, shout out to Melanie Scrifano who uh, was in that film. And she's a girl I went to high school with. And um, she played one of the sisters, I think. Um, so I, I, you know, it was a good movie. So we'll see. So I'm, I'm looking for, I'm, I'm curious. I'm curious. I'm curious. I want to see it. I want to see what this is. I'm curious. Um, I'm very curious to see uh, uh, Jordan Peele's Nope. Yes. I'm curious to see what this is all about. I want to see Nope for sure. Uh, and let me see here. Uh, that's not a horror movie. Sonic the Hedgehog. Why is that in there? Well, I guess it depends if you're afraid of Sega. I don't know. Um, and let me see. So that's two. Halloween ends. I mean, I'm not as excited about that anymore, really. Um, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, not really excited for that. Uh, yeah, those. I guess those are, those are some there that are, unless I'm missing a few big ones. Am I missing a few big ones? I probably am. I don't know. I can't think of any off the top of my head. Hmm. The only thing well, I'm those looking forward to is Scream. So, oh, well, there you go. Yeah. There you go. Well, okay. Yeah. Well, there you go. We're on, we're on the same page there. <laughs> Are there any horror movies that you love that people generally don't like? Uh, Black Christmas. I, I think, I think Black Christmas, the original from 74 is, is, is usually, it's either really liked or n- not really liked. Um, so that's one for sure. Uh, I mean, it's not like loathed by everybody, obviously, but I, I think it, it it's that you either like it or you don't kind of thing. Um, uh, not really. You know, and, and I mean this, I, I don't think there is, and I don't mean that to sound pretentious in the slightest. If it does, uh, I think it's just because I have a pretty good gauge for not getting emotionally invested into stuff that is crap. 
<laughs> but, you know, generally speaking, of course, right? You never know if you like something until you watch it. But usually if I see a horror movie trailer and I'm like, oh, God, this looks awful. I mean, nine times out of ten, it's awful, you know, and, and I don't need to see it because everybody else does the job for me. And they're like, yeah, it was awful, <laughs> you know. So I'm like, oh, well, you know, it was. So, um, I, again, I, I can't think of that. I really like that. Um, most people don't. A horror movie that I really like, most people don't. You know, I'll say this. I'll say that I I, I really do, but I, I actually think it's coming around now. I've always appreciated and really liked A Nightmare on Elm Street 2, Freddy's Revenge. And it's primarily because I know there, obviously there's the 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 gay subtext to it, which isn't really subtext at all. Um, but, and, 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 and it's very different from the first movie and it almost feels like the black sheep of the family. Um, but I, I really appreciate the way Freddie is in that movie, the way he looks, the the makeup, the he's scary. It's it's arguably just the scariest he's ever looked in that film, and it's my second favorite in the franchise. Usually, people go to part three as their second favorite or their first favorite, uh, but part two is is something that tends to be kind of the not so favorite. But I I really like it a lot. Awesome. If you could remake one horror movie, which one would it be? If I could remake one horror movie, what would it be? Um, I would love to remake an older film uh, going back to sort of the golden age of cinema, like maybe Rear Window. I know it's been done, obviously, in the 90s with Christopher Reeves. Uh, and there's been other iterations of a Rear Window type of movie like uh, Suburbia with Shia LaBeouf. Disturbia. Um, Disturbia, thank you. Disturbia. Um, suburbia. <laughs> suburbia. Hey, it kind of goes with the same thing. Yeah. Uh, disturbia, thank you, which I actually really enjoyed. I do um, too. I love it. Yeah, I think it's a, I think it's a good, it's it's a good film. So there there have been films based on that premise, but I would remake Rear Window. Like I would do like a a, a remake of that where there's somebody, which I guess is kind of what the woman in the window is too. That's sort of that kind of thing. Um, but I think I could I could pull it off. Uh, and I wouldn't mind a crack at um, maybe, maybe Psycho. I mean, that's blasphemous, of course. They had that beat for beat remake in 98 with Vince Vaughn, but, you know, to modernize it, to bring it forward, but, but, but make it, uh, make it classy and, and really scary, I, th I think would be a lot of fun. Awesome. Well, my last question is, as always, if you had to spend quarantine with one horror vi villain, who would it be? Ooh, if I had to spend quarantine with one horror villain, I think it would be, hmm, I'm going to go with uh, maybe Dr. Hannibal Lecter. Hmm. Ooh, that would be interesting. <laughs> of course, he's got to remain in a cage, though. Got to remain in a cage. <laughs> so he's not going to cook for you? He's not going to cook for me. No, he's not going to cook for me. But I think his long diatribes would be fascinating to listen to. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being here. I had so much fun chatting with you. As I said before, everyone can check out It's Me, Billy on YouTube. Do you want to tell everyone where they can find you on the internet? For sure. Yes. Uh, well, you can find me on YouTube at Dave McRae. Uh, McRae is M-C-R-A-E, just YouTube Dave McRae. I'm the first one that pops up. Uh, on Twitter, it is at The Voice Man. Man has two N's. It's nothing fancy. It's just because at, uh, The Voice Man uh, with one N was taken when I was getting a domain for my website. Uh, so it's at The Voice Man with two N's is my uh, my Twitter domain, at Dave McRae 79 on Instagram. My official website is thevoiceman.com. And uh, yeah, and you can watch It's Me, Billy on my YouTube channel. It's there for people to see. Awesome. Well, thank you so much again. I hope you have a good holiday this year. 
Yes, you as well, Allison. Thank you so much for having me uh, on. Your questions were fantastic and you were a delight to talk to. I sincerely mean that. Oh, you, you as well. That's it for this week's episode of Who's There. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Dave McRae. And thanks again to Dave for coming on. You can find links to It's Me, Billy, and all of his socials in the show notes. You can follow us on Twitter at Who's There Pod or on Instagram at Who's There Podcast. Or if you have any questions, comments, concerns, horror movie recommendations, or you'd like to be a guest, shoot us an email at hello at whostherepodcast.com. Until next time, stay scary, wear a mask, and happy holidays. <laughs>